welcome back. So we are here with a very special guest today. We have uh, Mr. Michael Bryan um, joining us today. He's an author and a fellow podcaster from overseas. And uh, so, Michael, you actually have two names. Could you clarify with us uh, what, what's, what's the real name and what's the name that, what's your entertainment name? Yeah, so the, uh, the sort of weird situation that I was in when people are finding it difficult to find me because of my last name. So my last name is McDonnell, but because of the many ways that people have found that they can spell it, um, I found that my, my middle name is so much easier. So it used to be Michael McDonnell. That was the sort of my normal name, if you will. But because of like social media and everyone's trying to find everybody and I just realized that Michael Bryan was so much easier for people to spell. So Bryan's my middle name. So it just made sense to, to do that. I know there's two ways of spelling Bryan, which doesn't help, but easier than I figure out the many different ways of spelling my last name. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah, especially I, almost like with the with Mike too. It, it it's uh, you know Mike McDonald. It's I, I could see that being a little bit difficult for people to get right. Uh, so <laughs> understandable. Yeah. Um, so I just wanted to ask you first off uh, before we get into the book, just how how have you been doing? You know, with everything going on with the pandemic situation. Well, um, I'm currently in in Lanzarote at the moment, which is in the Canary Islands, a part of Spain. And we, we started off reasonably intense with the, with the lockdowns and the precautions and everything, which meant that we were doing pretty well. The, the virus had only really just scraped our island rather than it being into the hundreds. Um, but as we got more flexible and allowing people a bit more freedom to to do things uh, we've only really just delayed the inevitable in, right. in that way so you've gone from locking our borders down the only places that were open being pharmacies or supermarkets now some businesses are open uh, restaurants and things like that they're allowed to be open and it's gone from not that many cases to be in it into the hundreds now. Oh, um, we're a small island, so we're having a hard time, having a hard time figuring out what works. But I think the whole world's like that. You know, I, I've heard yeah. it over in, in the UK, where I'm originally from. <clears throat> they're having local lockdowns of certain cities and towns, and it's just not really helping for some reason. And I don't think anyone really knows why. Mm. Um, but I, I still think we'll get through it. The question is, is what's the world going to look like once we do get through it? Right. Yeah, it's, uh, and I, it almost feels like we, we, over here in America, we've been kind of the opposite. We, we started off, uh, we didn't really know what we were doing and I don't think we did enough. And then it kind of, uh, well, then we did have a, we did have a lockdown and things started to get better, like you said, but then I think, we got complacent and thought, well, you know, everything's better now. Well, it was better because we were making these adjustments and then we decided it's summertime came, we wanted to get barbecues and, you know, all that yeah. stuff back. So yeah, I, I'm, I'm a little concerned with, especially going into the winter months, but um, we'll see, <laughs> we'll see what happens. Hopefully we'll pull through it. Um, 
Yeah, that's that, that's the real concern, isn't it? In that we're we're wanting to live and you know just live our lives, I guess, and with the with the fatality rate not being comparable with a lot of other pandemics and conditions and diseases that that are out there. Um, I mean, I, I understand it, I get it, mm-hmm. uh, but I'm on the list of people that would struggle if they caught the virus. So one of the issues that I'm seeing is th- there's a lot of debate and uh, about the sort of philosophy of it. You know, like do we sacrifice the happiness of the many, if you will, for the sake of the few? And is, is the sacrifice and the freedom worth it? And there's too much... There's too much debate around it, I guess, because ultimately you're placing the value of one life over another either way. You know, either way, someone somewhere is valuing a particular kind of life over another. You know, people want barbecues and parties, and it's like, well, if you're not prepared to sacrifice that, even for the short term, then it's going to be difficult. There's no other way of slicing it. Like, you can't have one without the other because the virus is, is a real thing. And some people, I guess, just don't want to sacrifice certain things like parties, but that's, that's how it spreads. So you've got to accept right. it's going to increase if you're not doing the things that will stop it from increasing, if that makes sense. Yeah, for sure. I, I, you've, you've got a very diplomatic way of uh, kind of explaining both sides too, because you know, you are you are acknowledging that there's sort of a, a a sacrifice in a sense that needs to be made, uh, but you know, I think also, I think uh, my my thought on it would be, it's it's a different kind of sacrifice. Obviously, having to give up barbecues or camping for a little while versus giving up your life entirely. Um, you know, yeah. but I, you know, as you said, there are people who have different perspectives on that. Um, uh, it, I'm glad you brought up uh, your health issues as, as well. That's kind of a good segue. I, I was going to preface it by saying to, to the extent that you're comfortable, um, could you talk just a little bit about the different, I guess, I know you've got a couple things going on, sort of how yeah. that has shaped where you are today and and also how that affected your growing up in a sense, again, to the extent that you're comfortable. Yeah, Sure. Well, when I was about two months old, <clears throat> I was diagnosed with cystic fibrosis, which affects my lungs and my digestive system mostly, but it affects everything. It affects my, my entire body for the most part. And um, it makes me sort of tighter, I guess, and my lungs can struggle sometimes. Um, my lung capacity is never going to be the same as someone without the condition. Um, it affects my digest my digestive eh, my words I'm getting right now. It affects my digestive system because my body doesn't produce enough enzymes to break down and absorb my food. So that can affect like um, how much I need to eat to feel full or how much I need to eat. So when I was growing up, I had to have like a high a high calorie diet. So it was like fats and chocolates and just to get the energy in, just to get the calories in. Um, cause I couldn't, my body just wasn't absorbing everything that I was eating. So that was a weird situation whereby my parents were like, just, just feed him, just give him, just give him whatever it was. Um, 
So yeah, it wasn't straightforward. There were lots of things that I had to do that I still have to do every single day. Um, when I was little, it doesn't lend itself over to a social life because I had like a lot of medicine to take. I had treatment to take, physio twice a day. Uh, you know, you've got friends around for sleepovers. It doesn't really go very well. You know, it can be quite embarrassing for a kid, you know, to show that that, that side of life, if you will. So, yeah, I mean, over time, you, you learn how to live with it. You learn that that is your life now. And it's not an issue. It's not a problem. Started off that way. But eventually, you just realize that, you know, you're different to everybody else. Um, there's nothing you can do about it. You just have to live with it. You just have to grit your teeth and bear it. Um, and that's, that's been my life for, for decades now. But how it sort of shaped me is eventually you get used to your own company. Eventually you get okay with being alone because in essence, you don't have an awful lot of choice. Mm-hmm. Um, that, that, that did lend itself over to me being quiet when I was in high school. I was bullied because of it because I didn't really stand up for myself. So I was an easy target for some people. Um, that's just the way it was. It never got physical. But there was always that potential of it every day. You know, you never know what what could be said or what could happen. Or it was always that trying to prevent it by not being social because you never knew what was going to happen. You never knew what was going to be said. So would I really want to put myself in that situation? No. And when you're a child and your life is so much more straightforward, when you're an adult, you you realize how complicated some situations can be. But when you're a kid, it's very black and white. It's very like straightforward, very simple. And it's like, well, I just won't do that anymore. I just won't do this or I just won't do that. And that meant like talking to new people. That meant getting involved in conversations. That meant being in a, a group scenario, trying to fit in when to have conversations. Like it's easy on a one-to-one basis, but in a group of four or three or four, like, when do I speak? I spent a lot of time thinking about what to say and when to say it rather than just saying it. And um, it it just made everything that little bit harder. And as soon as I realized that that wasn't helpful, as soon as I realized that when when you want to do something that's, I guess, bigger than yourself to a certain degree, and you realize that, you know, me being so quiet just isn't going to help with that anymore. And that's when things had to change. Not, not that I wanted them to change because to a certain extent, I still have my moments even now where I have to shut off from the rest of the world and I have to just go walk somewhere alone or just turn, the, turn all the screens off and just lie there. I have my moments when I have to do that in order to do things like this. In order to do things like this, I have days when I don't really look at anything apart from my phone. I have days when I spend all morning like exercising, walking, eating, a lot of stuff just to pass the time essentially because sometimes you get a lot of value from your time alone and some people hate that. But I've, I guess, learned to be okay with that and eventually it just becomes a bit a big part of who you are as a person and how you can function. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I, and I can, I can relate to the needing to get away sometimes. And, and I've, I've struggled with uh, social anxiety uh, throughout my life as well. And, I, and kind of, I'm kind of in the same boat in the sense of like, 
this outlet here being, um, you know, it's kind of like both a gift and a curse, especially, especially during this time that we're in right now with the pandemic, there is so much isolation anyway. Um, it's kind of like my, my, uh, sort of my portal to the outside world in a, in a sense. Um, but, um, I'm also interested in how, uh, you know, obviously you went through a kind of a, I don't know if you would call it a struggle, but a, a, a journey in your growing up to, like you said, to, to come to terms with how you're different from everybody else. And you kind of had to find that inner strength, if you will. Um, but also from just kind of learning about you over the last few months, it, it looks like you're also very involved in motivating and mentoring other people into finding that motivation within themselves when when did that happen for you and and how exactly because obviously you know you had to come to a certain point in yourself and then you decided I'm going to take the next step and help other people yeah I mean I've always been a bit of a helper um from as long as long as I can remember um I guess it's a part of me that felt I guess a little bit guilty because I I had to take so much, you know, everything from like doctors and parents and hospitals and medicines. I felt like there was so much that I needed to do just to get by. Um, There's a part of me that understood, I guess, that if we didn't have to do those things, everyone's life would be so much easier. You know, mm. so there was an element of, not that I was a burden, although it probably did end up that way at some, at some moments, but... I felt like I had the responsibility to, to give back, like straight away. It was always in there, um, always wanting to help. My first, I guess, taste of helping people properly um, was as a tennis coach. So I started off as a tennis coach, um, realized how much I enjoyed seeing the children get better at tennis. Um, that really locked in my brain when I was about 15 or 16 when I decided that this is what I want to do. This is how I can do it. This is how I can, you know, get by and live a life that I'm happy with. It's about helping others. And at first it was tennis. Then it became personal training. And after realizing that, you know, when you're a personal trainer, you're also a therapist for some of your clients. And um, that, that spurred me on just sort of personal development, learning everything around health and fitness, not just the things that you're taught on the qualifications and the courses. Um, and eventually when my clients found out that I had the conditions and yet I was still able to do a lot of the things that I was doing, because when you've got something that makes you feel different, makes you feel like the worst in the room to a certain degree, I spent a long time trying to convince people that I was normal. Um, I'd take my medicines like in, in the toilet, you know, I would go away and I would do it, I would come back and everyone thought I just went to the toilet. Great, happy days, everyone thought it was the same as them, you know? It was that sort of, that sort of deal. And one of the things that sort of made me sort of motivated to keep doing it was I wasn't the same as everybody else. I was better than everybody else. You know, when you're a tennis coach, you kind of better than most of your clients as a tennis coach. When you're a personal trainer, you tend to be fitter or healthier or at least appear to be that way before you can then help others. So you've got to get to a certain point, as you said, before you can then start to help other people. 
But right. you know, someone with health conditions being that way in the health industry, that was a big motivator for me. It was like, look, I'm not the same as everybody else. People are coming to me for help. What, how did that happen? You know, what on earth went on for me to feel like I could turn around and go, people are coming to me for help now. This is really weird. And when, when that really struck home for me, that was a big motivation because my, my sort of norms, if you will, are so much lower than average. And if I'm able to exceed, not my own, not my own like sort of goalpost for normal and better than normal, but everyone else's, it started to, it started to make me want to keep doing it, make me want to keep going, keep sort of living that way, keep being this person, not to please people, not to make other people feel good. But I realized that, again, this was a bit of a selfish thing of, I've got to do this to live, I've got to do this to survive, I've got to do this to thrive to a certain degree. And being able to help people in that was how I knew that I was thriving. So once you go past the whole survival element, you realize that you're in this thrive room and people want to be in that thrive room. So when you're doing well, other people want that as well. And when my clients found out that I had the conditions, it started to hit home for them in that they were like, oh, so my petty excuses about not having time to exercise and you sit there and you listen and you're happy to help. And I'm sat there giving you my, oh, I don't have time to work out excuse. You've got health conditions. My excuse is completely void. So I, I had to calm them down. I had to explain to them what everyone's got vices, everyone's got struggles. Just because you don't see them doesn't mean they don't have them. I had to console them a little bit and make them feel happy that you've got someone that's been through it and is going through it, still going through it. You know, it's every day. It's not a one-off. It's, it's a lifestyle choice. Mm -hmm. And that's one of the things I, I used to tell them. Is, Look, if you don't have time now, you don't have a hope in maintaining it once you realize that, hey, after a while, you've got to keep doing it just to maintain. And you've got to do so much just to get that extra one or two percent extra. Right. You know, want to do it if you don't have the time. So it was a big moment for my clients where it was like, you've got to share this. You've got to put yourself out there. Other people need to hear this. If we benefited from it, other people will as well. And I had the whole self-work thing. I mean, I have my moments as well. Like even now it's like, I can't believe people still want to hear this. You know, I mean, it's kind of like, it's not that good. You know, I have the whole sort of like, it's not that big of a deal, but to some people it is, and to some people, oh, your story would be important as well, not just mine. And I went on a bit of a, a journey of trying to figure out how I was going to share stuff and how I was going to show up and how I was going to help people with it. And I've been on stage, I was on TV, a bunch of different stuff just to figure out whether I could do it for a start. Because you never know when you first start out whether it's going to be worth it. I had to do the, the, the basics. The first time I was on stage, I read from cards. I don't remember what I said. I was that nervous and anxious. I don't really remember what I said. And I, I share that in the book because what people forget, I guess, is what goes on behind the scenes of some of the things that you see people do. You know, like everyone sees the successes, but no one really talks about, no one takes people through 
what it takes to do those things. It took me weeks, months of preparing, planning, organizing, practicing, just to, for the five minute talk, I had to do so much just to get myself onto that stage. Same thing with being on TV. Luckily, it was after the the stage thing. So a lot of the skills and the feelings and the practicing what I preach mindset-wise uh, does carry over. So I, I realized that once you put yourself in a place where you've got to practice what you preach, like, like, like I did, you know, like I, I was heavy into mindset. I was a mindset coach. I help people overcome their own mental barriers at the time. And I thought, what kind of coach would I be if I didn't actually go through it myself? Mm. So I started to push myself and challenge myself and do those things. And you realize that you build up the skill, you build up the tolerance to it. And eventually enough of it carries over in that you can just replicate it. So from stage to TV, it wasn't so bad because I'd already done something similar. And right. it does over, it does make sense, but people don't share it. Not many people actually understand what it takes or know what it takes from people that are in a similar position to me. Like you imagine, you imagine someone wanting to speak on stage, but they feel anxious, they feel nervous, they feel afraid, their body starts shaking. They don't know if that's okay. They don't know if they can keep going. They don't know if that's the limit. They don't know that because they've never experienced it. No one's ever shared it. And I go, look, I felt like I was shaking. I have like leg, 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 leg syndrome, leg, leg syndrome. We got there. Mm -hmm. And, and all of that, I had to convince myself to stand up off the chair when they called my name out. Like that's, mm -hmm. that's a really, I have to be like, come on, it's your name. Get up, you know? So it was something that I realized that people don't share it. But people need it to be normalized, I guess. People need to know that you can feel that way and still do it. You can feel scared and worried and anxious and shaking and sweating and sweaty palms and all those things. And you can still do it. You don't have to pull away from that. You can lean into that mm -hmm. and actually follow through and get to the end of what you say you're going to do. Yeah, that's, that's very true. And, um, yeah, great answer, by the way. Um, there's, there's so much to uncover in there. I, one of the things that kind of stood out to me was what you said about um, other people kind of realizing that you have this condition and then almost feeling, uh, you know, uh, guilty or uh, less than in a sense, like, oh, well, what am I, you know, I'm complaining about this. But, but, but also you said something that really, I think, illustrated your, uh, your empathy and your, your, your true desire to help people because you were saying, you know, we're all on our own um, landscape here in a sense. Like we only know, we only have our own personal trajectory to go off of much like with you, you know, you were essentially, you said you were two when you were diagnosed with cystic fibrosis. Um, so at that point, I mean, that's basically your whole life, uh, your whole memory. So you don't really know anything else. So you only, so it's, so it's not, you're not necessarily going to say, well, other people don't have to deal with this. So it's, you know, so they're less than me. You only have your own personal. So it's just like the person that's coming to you for help. They don't have your scope of experience. They only have what they have, you know, their experience. And, and uh, the other thing that I thought was interesting was uh, 
the struggles that you talk about with um, with like theater, uh, getting on stage, um, you know, and again, I'm not I'm not a, I'm not a therapist, so I, I, I can't diagnose anything. But I thought it was interesting um, because I've I've done theater before um, and I've and I like a social anxiety. I think that to a large extent, a lot of the things that you talk about are, you know, struggles in a sense in quotes um, are just part of the human condition. You know, and I, and I wouldn't say, and I, I would never presume to say that like, oh, well, it's not because you have this condition you were born with. Obviously, that's your, your life. You know that better than anybody else. But I, I do think there's a lot of, there's a lot of relatables there. Um, and again, getting back to the point of like, well, we all have our own landscape in a sense, but, but the, the struggles of being a human, I think, are, are somewhat universal. Um, so, yeah, I thought that was interesting. I mean- there's, there's a lot to be said for that, you know, like if you think of people that are paralyzed, right, there's a difference between someone that's born that way and someone that's been in an accident and, and then they're paralyzed afterwards. So if, if you're born with it, then there's a level of acceptance and your brain's a little bit more plastic when you're younger. So there's a real sense of acceptance that happens a bit quicker mm-hmm. uh, when you're born with it and you don't have much choice. Um, when you're in an accident, and let's say you lose your legs, just to make it a bit easier to explain, and you're instantly paralyzed, you know, you're in a wheelchair, you're doing whatever it is. That's a very different scenario. Uh, my, my own is I was diagnosed diabetic when I was in my early 20s, mm. um, which means that, you know, I was heavily into fitness in my 20s. I was a personal trainer. I was into CrossFit. So we did like weightlifting, powerlifting, um, circuit training, teaching classes. I taught spinning classes. I was doing the full, I was at like maximum convenience when it comes to health and fitness. Um, That alongside tennis coaching, alongside a lot. My my activity level was like through the roof. I was in the gym like three or four times a day, which is more than some people get in a week. And that was was an amazing time. Uh, I felt great. But it was so difficult for me to do a lot of different things, i.e. relate to people that can only get to the gym three or four times a week. So in that state, I had to work harder to empathize with people's struggles because I had a lot of, I guess, privilege in terms of the situation that I was in. So I could do like, four to five different workouts. I could do like your flexibility work, your strength work, your mobility work, eating well, eating enough. I, I could do all of that and I could sleep and I could. So there was a lot of like, I could be in the perfect situation versus someone that had a whole lot of other responsibilities and fitness was the, the luxury for them. So mm. fitness was the lifestyle for me. That was the commodity for me. Right. And something that I had to do. So I had to learn how to empathize with people that were struggling because I was doing so well. And I built this life that meant I could live a certain way, look after myself, help others. I kind of hit my, uh, I've made it moment, if you will, because I was paying my bills, all that good stuff. And I felt really good. Now, where the diabetes came in, was it's part of having cystic fibrosis, which means cystic fibrosis can cause you to be diabetic <clears throat> after a certain age. 
So once I was in my 20s, I did the test, if you will. The nurse was like, yeah, you're diabetic. I laughed. I shrugged it off. I didn't agree. I, I was like, how can I be diabetic? I don't, I don't eat a lot of sugar. I train every day, multiple times a day. I skipped the session to come to the hospital this morning. But there's, there's no way I'm diabetic. Like, can I change my diet? Can I change something just to give it a bit more of an accurate read? And then you go, yeah, all right, I'll, I'll, I'll indulge you. Right? She was laughing because she knew I was wrong. Right. The, the thing about doctors and nurses is they know they indulge you because you need to sometimes see it for yourself. Mm. So I did it, changed my diet, up my fat, lowered my carbs, still diabetic. And they just said, yeah, it's how your body's addressing the carbs that you're eating. It's not that it's bad. It's that your body's not, just not able to cope. There's nothing you can do about it. So... <clears throat> to sort of place it a little bit in terms of how much that hit me because <clears throat> you can imagine it already but prior to that I had a friend that had the same conditions so I had a friend that had cystic fibrosis um, had diabetes and he unfortunately passed away oh, so that. when that happened I went through the whole like hate spiral I wish I could have done more and all those people we all go through all that it's the stages of grief right but when I was diagnosed with diabetes, alongside the, you know, it was all pointless. I was doing so much. I felt like I was on <clears throat> cloud nine, fitness-wise. I was doing the best that I could, and it wasn't good enough. You know, the, my body was going to win. That was the way it was. Mm-hmm. And I had to accept certain parts of it. I had to be okay with it. I had to be okay with remodeling my entire life. Because when you're diabetic, your body is a fine balancing act when it comes to blood sugar. I can't exercise too hard because you're drained and you need to eat. And then because your blood sugar spikes because of what you've eaten, that's the result of how hard you worked in the gym. So you can do certain things that you can't do when you're diabetic. You've got to acknowledge that. You've got to be okay with that. And I had to. It was hard. It was very hard. I had to accept it i had to be okay with it i had to understand that despite you know a lot of it not really being up to me i couldn't control it and um, i still beat myself up about it i still hated the fact that everything that i was doing still wasn't enough mm-hmm. and i went through a bit of a spiral regarding like okay well i've got to not be in the gym all the time i've got to regulate myself i've got to be smarter I've got to be aware of what's happening and I've got to make adjustments. Okay. That just made, I just sat there and thought, I know what I'm doing. I'll just make the adjustments. You know, I'm, I was a smart guy, very, very in tune with what health and fitness was all about. Um, yeah, I'll do this. I'll smash this. That's fine. But in terms of the, the life changes, I, I thought I was going to be next. Mm-hmm. You know, once, once my friend passed away and I was diagnosed, I was like, what's the point anymore? Have I only got a year left? Because he was only a year older than me. He was the same age as, as my uncle at the time. Uh, it was like, I, what would I do if I only had a year left? You know, how, how would I spend my time? Mm. And it's very different if you've got the sort of the short-term thing, as in if someone gives you a week or two, you settle your differences, you 
make sure everyone that you know knows how you feel about them and although you do all of that stuff when you go on a bit of a, a farewell tour when you've only got like a week or two but when you don't really know how long you've got when you know that you've got something that could very well speed up the process and yeah I, i'm over a year now i'm on what's called borrowed time right now mm. so everything i do i know that i'm I'm kind of the head of the curve, if you will, at this point. And I asked myself, you know, did I, did I live well enough? Did I give enough? Will I matter? Will people, I actually asked myself if people would actually remember me outside of my family and close friends. And I, I wasn't really happy with the answers. So I, I changed everything. I trained differently. I ate differently. My online business started and it allowed me to help more people be at a bigger scale than one-to-one which is what i was doing at the time and it was like yeah this is it this is what i want to do and this is how i want to live my life it's how i want to be remembered if that's even possible now with everything being so quick and i just felt like it wasn't enough to just play small anymore it wasn't enough because yeah i have i have had longer than a year but if I only had a year, I'd still want to be okay with the results. I'd still want to be okay with the outcome. I'd still want to be okay with the process because if you hate the process, you, you're not going to do it anyway. So I, I went on this, not a spiral, but I went on this like line in the sand. This is it. New life, new me. You've just got to go for it because if you've only got this year, you've got to make it worth it. You've got to make it worth the effort. And, you know, it's been years since then, been years since then. And I wouldn't want it any other way. I wouldn't want to live any differently. I wouldn't want to change anything. So everyone, oh, what would you tell your younger self? Well, I've lived based on not wanting any regrets for as long as I can live now. As long as I can remember, I've based it on not wanting to regret anything, not wanting to leave anything on the table, not wanting anything to be you know, unsaid or unhelped or anything. Now, I, I don't want that. I don't want to be on the deathbed, whether it's 50, 60, 90, 190. I don't want to be in that position and say, I should have done more. That's not what I want. So that's the turning point for me. That's when I really started to make shifts and make changes and make waves. And unfortunately, there are people out there that won't do that unless something monumental happens to them. You know, they wait until the, the life-changing moment. And <clears throat> I can't really speak to that because I've had multiple <laughs> moments where I've had to make shifts and make changes. And I would, not, I would not be as honest as possible if I said, if I didn't have those things, if I didn't have those things happen, would I still be doing what I'm doing today and my honest answer is I don't know. I'm not so sure I would because I have my zero motivation days. And it's certain things that get me up in the morning, certain things that keep me going, certain things that get me through the what's the point moments. But would I still have those? And would I still be keeping on going without these conditions and without the turning points and the, the big moments? I honestly don't know. I'm not so sure I would because I wouldn't have an awful lot to get me through the bad days which in my experience i've needed to get through those days
Right. Yeah, I think you're. Uh, I mean, I I think you're a pretty genuine person, and uh, it's you know you you tell your story so uh, so clearly and uh, candidly. Uh, I was gonna say too that I it's interesting the the thing that the thing that drew me to you from the first time was so I used to be a part of this. I'm not actually even on Facebook anymore, but I was on a Facebook group that you were on. It's like a podcasters unite or something like that. And I actually ended up getting off the page because the page was just littered with people saying, oh, review my podcast and I'll review yours or follow me and I'll follow you. And I just, I just don't like that. I, I, I'm, I just look at it like I, I like genuine relationships and, and people who want to listen to my show, then they listen to my show. And if, if they like it, they like it. If they don't, they don't. But I don't like the whole like, oh, give or take type thing. And you, you stood out to me because you made a post about you know, would anybody like to hear my story? You know, I'd love to be a guest on your show. And you just kind of left it at that. And I was like, wow, that's, that's kind of cool. Like, that's just a, like an open. And then I went and looked into you and I go, oh, he's got a book coming out and he's got his own podcast. And I thought there's, you know, an interesting story there. And I, I like that it kind of grew uh, sort of organically in that sense. And it's, it seems kind of symbolic to how you've lived your life in a sense that you're just kind of, you're reaching out and you, you know, you're sharing your story and hoping to help other people. And I think that's really great. Um, yeah, there were, there were so many, so many ways, I guess, that I can phrase things or boil things down. And you, know, you, hear, you hear a lot about making the world a better place. And you hear a lot about, I just want the world to change and all those things. And there's, there's a lot to be said for how people actually go about doing it and making sure that they, they make the change that they want to make. Because if, if enough people do that, the world will change anyway. Like the, the podcast started a few years ago now. And originally it was, a based, it was based on my, I guess, passion for learning things. And I thought, what's better than learning from people in an interview format that's recorded to benefit other people? So it's not just benefiting me. That, that made sense. And then over the years, it's become, because of my, <clears throat> my own sense of, I guess, belief that I can do the bigger things that I want to do. Because at the time, I, I had no idea. So I just played it cool, if you will. Just thought, yeah, we'll do this, it'll be fine. But then over the years, it's become about making the change I want to make, which comes down to changing one, pe one people, <laughs> changing one person at a time. That's, that's it. If, every, if everyone changes a little bit, the whole world changes, which means that if you can change one person, everyone can change. So it's about changing the world one person at a time. And that's what it's about now. But then... What people don't seem to realize, I guess, is everyone has the chance to do that. Everyone has the chance to change <clears throat> someone in some way. And if everyone, I'm, I'm, can you imagine if everyone changed one person in a positive way mm -hmm. because of how they acted or because of the decisions they made? If everyone thought like that, the world would make a big change. It would all, right. it would completely change itself completely there'd be completely different way of seeing things right and you know, another another question that i sometimes get asked and 
it's a bit uh, cliche. It really is. I heard it about three or six months ago, and it's kind of stuck. It's kind of stuck with me because it's cliche. It's irritating. I can feel my own eye roll, if you will, when I say it. But I feel this real sense of giving more than taking. And I only get that because I, I feel like I've taken quite a bit. And I feel that level of responsibility of, you know, you've got to give back because you've taken so much. Hmm. And I don't know where that comes from because there are people out there that just do their thing, just live their life, just do whatever it is. And that's it. That, that, that's their life. They, they work, they, they do whatever it is. And, um, yeah, I don't know. I just feel the pull a bit bigger than, than more, than most, than, than average, than the average person. And, you know, for the, it's only been a few years where I've really felt like I can do that. But when I first started with this vision, if you will, I didn't, I didn't think I could actually do that. I didn't think I could actually give more than I took. And originally I wasn't, because I was taking so much, I was giving a little bit and I was like, what's going on, what's happening, you're doing it wrong. And then over the years I realized, you know, I can actually give more than I take now. Mm. And it's become being more self-reliant, I guess, being a bit more independent, not relying on people all the time. And at the same time, I'm giving more. The podcast is better. I'm writing the book. I'm doing a lot more. I've got events that I'm hosting, virtual ones this year and probably next year. But the plan is to go offline in the future. And it's all based on I've got an ability to give more than I take, Mm -hmm. more than I've ever had. And I feel a sense of pressure now that I never feel. I feel a sense of responsibility you know like with great power comes great responsibility almost that the whole spider-man quote mm-hmm. but you know I, I i don't i don't know i don't know why i don't know where it comes from i don't know why i don't know that I means spider-man could have hit me more than i thought you know back in the day mm-hmm. but i feel like people should feel that <clears throat> my voice is a bit cold actually <clears throat> bit of a struggle but um yeah, I do feel that pull more than most people. And if I, if you were to ask me why, I don't think I really have an answer. I think it is growing up in a way that means you've got to take more than you give. Mm-hmm. And when you're aware of that, I've always wanted to balance the scales. I've always wanted to, you know, the whole like, if you borrow money, you pay it back. If you... If some if you ask for help, you repay them. It's that real sense of repaying. Mm. Um, and I've had that for a while. I've had that sense of when you borrow money for this, then you repay them when you can, and you do all those things. And I've got this real sense of that with everything that I'm doing. But for the first time, I feel really, really good. It started a few years ago, but I feel really, really good because the scales are finally in, in my favor. And I finally feel like I'm able to give more than I take in a way that I've never had before. And that feels really good. Right. Yeah, that's that's really an amazing uh, way to look at it, Uh, especially because, you know, I was thinking about like what you were saying about um, taking more than you give as you grow up. You know, I think that you are 
a little hard on yourself in the sense of like, well, you know, I grew up with this condition and so I was such a burden to people around me, but really all of us take more than we give as children. You know, it's, it's, it really is kind of the journey of life, right? Like you, you grow up and you have, you, you, you completely reliant on your parents or whoever's taking care of you. And then you transition into an, an adult and eventually you become self-sufficient. Um, yeah, it's a great story. I actually, I have to, I have to wrap it up, but um, I'd like to hear you just briefly talk about the book you, uh, that's coming out next month and kind of, uh, I, I imagine that a, to a large extent, it is sort of the story that you've told me, but um, what, what is the book about exactly? And what was your, uh, what was your purpose in, in writing it? Well, the, the purpose in writing it was, <clears throat> to give people a behind-the-scenes look, or like the inside the mind, if you will, of someone that's gone from being a quiet, introvert kid with health conditions to doing the things like, like this, like being on, on, on your show, speaking on stage, being on TV, hosting my own podcast. But <clears throat> when I mean inside the mind, I mean, you know, we all have insecurities, we all have things that we're scared of we all have things that we would rather not talk about we all have the voice inside our own heads that are trying to convince us to stay safe and i wanted to show people how i overcame that i wanted to show people how i got through all of that because you know, i i didn't like being singled out you know we had a fundraiser when i was little for cf and I had to explain in front of the whole school why we were hosting the fundraiser. You know, the teacher was up there, I was up there. Again, I mentioned like taking medicines in the toilet so that no one really saw what was happening. Mm -hmm. um, it went from being this little secret that I had, only a select few people even knew that I had it, to the whole school knowing. And that, that formed a lot of the whole, like not wanting to be singled out, not liking to speak in public, wanted to keep to myself, stay in the shadows, all those things. And I've had a lot that I've had to overcome over the years just to be able to do this. Never mind, I'm on stage all of a sudden. Mm -hmm. So I wanted to give people that. I wanted to give people that we're introverts, are quiet, do have the insecurities. I wanted to give them hope and share that you can still do it even though you're scared. You can still do it even though your conditioning says otherwise. So that's why I wrote the book. And the title is My Introvert Journey to Be Invisible. And next month, so the 19th of November, that's when it comes out and it'll be on, on Amazon. Great. That is, that's awesome. Uh, I'm, I'm looking forward to it. I'm, I'm excited for you. Uh, it's, a, it's a obviously a big, big step in your life, I think. Um, we, we definitely have to do this again sometime. It's really been a pleasure getting to know you, you know, as I said, I, I feel like I had the privilege to get to know you a little bit leading up to this. Cause you know, watching your uh, other programs that I've seen you be a part of over, over the last few months. Um, and then the podcast is the ask Mike show, right? It's a, yeah. And that can be heard on Spotify anchor or where, where can people hear those? It's on like Spotify, iTunes, Google, Amazon. It's, it's everywhere. Yeah, I've really enjoyed the show. Um, it's taken a whole, new, a whole new shape over the last sort of 12 months. Because again, similar to the, the moments when 
I wanted to really up my game after, after being diagnosed and wanting to take things off the gear. But I asked myself, like, how can my show help people in a bigger way? Because I was interviewing people. I was sharing my own insights on things. But one of the things that stood out was like, well, what if I could actually answer people's questions? Mm-hmm. Like, there's a question that's being asked. Can I answer it? Yeah. Okay. Well, I've got an obligation to answer it then. So when I shifted the show to a, an answering questions show, I've loved it because being able to answer questions and help people out, that's better than like just doing a show. It's a little bit different. It feels different to me. You know, it feels like I'm more, I'm more directly helping people mm-hmm. rather than just recording a show. So that was the reason for that. Right. Well, yeah, that's uh that's a really cool story. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm excited for the book to come out and uh, maybe after, maybe after it's big release, we can, we can discuss it, discuss it further. Um, but uh, I know we've got a big, we've got a big global different time difference here. I think you're about eight hours. So we, we both had to kind of structure our days uh, to make this, to make this work out. So it has definitely been uh, quite an honor to have this conversation with you. Yeah, it's been great. I really enjoyed it. Um, I, I like the fact that you sort of connected beforehand. And, um, yeah, the, the questions were really insightful, gave me plenty of time to speak, which I know I'm, I'm becoming more and more aware that I don't really enjoy being quiet as much on, on interviews. I tend to keep going. But, um, yeah, I think, I think there's, there's a lot to be said for for your sort of style as well as uh, as a host and everything so i really appreciate the the chat the conversation and um yeah the more people i can help with the book the better i mean i've got a waiting list that people can join so if people want to be told when it's live so that they can get it because it, it will be a discounted rate on the launch day in terms of how much it would cost so if people want a copy but they don't want to pay the the full price for it then they can join a waiting list where I'll send them all of the links where they can find it on launch day and then they can grab it before the price goes up. Oh, awesome. Okay. Well, if you want to give me that information offline, I can, I can put that in the description of, of the episode as well. Yeah, yeah, sure. All right. Well, Michael, it's been a pleasure. Uh, we'll talk again soon. Yeah. Thanks for having me on, Chris. Right. Yeah, no problem. Have a great rest of your day. Thank you.